they all were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This is God's word to us. Um, as we uh, as we consider uh, waiting for the Father's promise, I, I uh, the first section that I have here is verses one to five, um, and and I I see Luke the 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 author kind of laying a foundation for what he is going to write in the book of Acts. The book of Acts uh, is like a bridge between. The Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, since he's the author, and the New Testament letters written by the apostles. He says this is, he refers to his first account I composed, and so this would be the Gospel of Luke. Uh, If we we would uh, read at the beginning, he says, Inasmuch, uh, Luke 1, as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And so uh, Acts is kind of a bridge between the Gospels and the New Testament letters. Um, We see at the end of Luke's Gospel... Look on, look on the, uh, this passage, a very significant passage uh, at the end of, of the Gospel of Luke. Now he said, Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. And so Jesus is connecting all of the Old Testament to his person and his work and says it must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds... The word uh, is the word we get our word dilate from, uh, like he, he dilated their minds. He opened them up to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins, listen, would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are, interesting way to put it, clothed with power from on high. And so even at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus makes it clear to his disciples that everything written about him in the, in the entire Old Testament will be fulfilled in his person. And... and and that they are to proclaim repentance based on his finished work on the cross and his resurrection 
to all the nations. But, he says, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. And, um, and so you will be clothed with power from on high. Very significant passage. Dr. Luke, the author of both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, was very meticulous, very detail-oriented, down to the fact that in chapter 20, he, uh, he speaks of this young man, Eutychus, right? I think uh, Abu mentioned him last week. Uh, and and uh, Paul's message was going on long, uh, as many preachers do, I guess. And, uh, and as it went on, the young man was sitting in a windowsill and fell out of the windowsill and, um, and died. And, and Paul brought him back to life. It's like, why, what, what's the significance of this in the Gospel of Acts? Well, or in the book of Acts. But we see that Luke is very much into details. And, uh, and so that is very important, not only in the Gospel, but also in the book of Acts. And so, uh, we see some of the key contributions of this book, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, the beginning of world missions, uh, the rapid spread of the Gospel from Jerusalem to, to Rome, uh, the first Gentile converts, and the first Christian martyr. And so we see some very significant things in the book of Acts. But what I want us to note here is that the work of Christ is both finished and unfinished. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders or commands to his apostles whom he had chosen. And so we see that, that Acts is going to continue the work that Jesus had, had, had finished on the cross, and yet there's a, an unfinished part of his work, and it relates to this message of, of his cross and of his resurrection. The resurrection became a very central theme, uh, this this fact that Jesus Christ was alive, uh, we are going to see again and again in, in the book of Acts. Warren Wiersbe says, The Gospel of Luke records what Jesus began to do and teach in his human body, and the book of Acts tells us what Jesus continued to do and teach through his spiritual body, the church. And, uh, and that's why the, the book of Acts is so good for us to, to renew our passion and our vision for what the church uh, is to be about. So he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, we are told. He spoke to them to things concerning the kingdom of God, verse 3 says. And then verse 4 says that he gathered them together and commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. To wait for what the Father had promised. Now this promise was a very significant theme, especially in John's gospel. And, and I want us to just look at a few of these passages. In John 7... Uh, it was the day of the great feast, and Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And I'm sure the crowd was like, Who is this guy? You know, I mean, why would he be calling us, if we're thirsty, to come to him? And what is this rivers of living water? Well, John says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And in his upper room discourse, Jesus said in John 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another 
helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it did not know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. This helper, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, when that helper comes whom I will send from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. John 16, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we see a very significant promise that Jesus has laid out. Who knows if the disciples even caught any of this about this helper that was to come. But now we see in Acts chapter 1, he revisits this idea of this promise from the Father that is to come. How could it possibly be that the, it would be to the disciples' advantage that Jesus would go away? That, that, that's a question that I would ask as I, as I think of these promises in John's gospel. Think of these disciples. Jesus constantly called them men of little faith. They were sleeping in the garden when Jesus asked them to watch and pray while he was agonizing, uh, like sweating like drops of blood. They fled when he was arrested. Uh, Peter denied him when, when questioned three times. They hid for fear uh, behind closed doors after, after Jesus' death. And then uh, Thomas would, wouldn't even believe him uh, based on the testimony of the others. He, he had to see for himself. And this is the band of disciples that Jesus is going to use to make disciples of all the nations? Um, how could these 12 men possibly make disciples of all the nations as Jesus commanded them to do. I mean, anyone would be asking that question as they are cowering in fear, uh, wondering what is going to happen to them after Jesus' death. Now, so we come to verse 6 and following. Jesus had said in verse 5, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Be baptized is a passive verb, which means that this will be a divine activity that will take place upon them. And, and I'm sure they're wondering, what, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Not many days from now. So when they came together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or epics. So their curiosity about the timing of the kingdom Jesus was not going to answer, but he says, in contrast, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Verse 8 was a verse in um, one of the first classes that I took at Dow Seminary. Uh, was a class from Howard Hendricks on uh, Bible study methods or... Um, um, hermeneutics, uh, studying the scriptures, uh, understanding the, the, the word of God, and, and he was an excellent teacher. But uh, one of his uh, assignments was, uh, right at the beginning of the class, was to look at Acts 1.8, just one verse, and come up with 25 observations from this one verse of scripture. And... Um, and so he sent us home for this assignment. We came back with 
uh, as many as we could. At the time, you're thinking 25 observations from one verse of Scripture, Acts 1.8. And uh, so you come back with your observations. He, he studies the passage in context. And, and, then, uh, and then he says, now today I, I want you to go home and come up with 25 more observations from Acts 1.8. And, um, and so he was just forcing us to consider context, to consider each word in this passage, uh, in this verse, and, uh, and come up with our observations. But um, amazingly, there is a lot in Acts 1, verse 8. And, um, and so, as Jesus uh, did not answer their question about the timing of the kingdom, the restoring of the kingdom, he speaks to them about the Holy Spirit's power that would be essential for their being his witnesses. The word witness uh, is the word where we get our, uh, the noun is, is a word where we get our word martyr. Um, but it is, it is used in the noun and verb form over uh, about 29 times in the book of Acts, and more than any other New Testament book. And so this is a very key um, message that, that is being uh, established right here in Acts 1.8 for the rest of the book. You will receive power when my spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the remotest part of the earth. It might be good in, in our, uh, this flyover, the first century church, to, to maybe you would like to memorize Acts 1.8. Power is the, the, word, the Greek word that we get our English word dynamite from. You will receive dunamis. Uh, you will receive incredible power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. And uh, Ray Sedman says, the mark of the carnal church is that they love to talk about themselves. The early Christians never witnessed about the church at all. They witnessed about the Lord, what he could do, how he would work, how amazing his power, his grace was, and, and what he wanted to do in human hearts. And so this was what they witnessed to, the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Acts 1.8 could be kind of our key verse uh, for the outline of the book uh, as we see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the modest part of the earth. You could say uh, chapters 1 to 7 uh, are where the church starts in Jerusalem. 8 to 12, it scatters to Judea, Samaria, to the Gentile world, and then 13 to 28 to the ends uh, of the earth. And the book is still being written. And so then, finally, our final section... Uh, I I have in in verses 9 through 11, as we see the ascension, uh, as the sun, watch as the sun ascends. Christ's ascension was required for the coming of the Holy Spirit and and also is an assurance that he will come again. The parousia, as the New Testament refers to his his coming again, Uh, Christ's return. He, He will return in the very same way that you saw him go. And so... Uh, the disciples obeyed him, returned to Jerusalem, and waited together for the Holy Spirit's power rather than trying to spread the gospel in their own strength. Um, verses 12 to 13, uh, right after this passage, says that they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And so they began to pray, a small band of them. And, uh, and in Acts chapter 2, we'll, we'll pick up in our next message 
about what happens after uh, on the day of Pentecost and, and beyond. Um, the Mount of Olives uh, is something that uh, Pastor Brent and Pastor Scott and I were, were able to visit last year, and um, uh, it is... Um, they call it a mount, a mountain, a high hill, uh, separating the old city of Jerusalem, where where we we would be standing, taking this picture uh, across the Kidron Valley, and and this is a place that Jesus would often go, and um, this is uh, down from this is where the Garden of Gethsemane is, um, and so this olive grove uh, is where his arrest took place, and this is where he ascended. And this is where he says, the angels say, he will uh, come again. And so we see this uh, hope that Jesus gives his disciples that he will return again. But he is exalted. This is Jesus' glorification. He is exalted to the Father's right hand here in Acts 1, 9 to 11. And, uh, and so we see the ascension of Jesus Christ uh, where he takes his seat at the right hand of the Father, waiting for his return, uh, interceding for us um, as our great high priest. And so, as we come to a time of, of application, um, I ask this first question. Have you received the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ? Um, Jesus said to, to uh, the people on this great day of the feast, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so I ask you, have you received um, the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ? This is a work that God does. It, uh, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, we are told in 1 Corinthians 12, is, is to be joined together, to be identified with Christ and with His body. And this occurs by the Spirit. We are baptized by the Spirit into one body. And, uh, and so I ask you, have you come to that place of recognizing you're spiritually thirsty and that you are needing Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Uh, you need to repent and you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and this Spirit will, will come into you and will flow from your life from the inside out like rivers of, of water. And uh, what a beautiful picture Jesus gives. Um, and then, then he's... Um, so I, I just ask you that question. Have you come to that place of recognizing your need for the Savior Jesus Christ? Um, belief just simply does, it does not mean an intellectual understanding. It, it starts with understanding facts of who Jesus is and his death and his resurrection. But belief has to do with, with trusting him totally. When we were at the big house this last Thursday, some of the kids were, were doing their like a trust fall. Apparently they'd been doing that at school or whatever, where they just kind of fall back and you catch them or whatever. Um, but what does it mean to believe? It means to trust completely, to depend upon totally uh, for my salvation. I'm not trusting in my works. I'm not trusting in anything else or anyone else. But in Jesus Christ alone, you are depending upon his death and his resurrection for your salvation. And so I ask you, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received 
the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, Secondly, how are you depending on the Holy Spirit to be his witness? Um, The power of the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for Christ's followers to spread the gospel, to make disciples of all the nations. There's no possible way this can be accomplished except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that so strong in this passage. Wait until the promise of the Father. Wait until you are clothed with power from on high. And so uh, I have to remind myself that there's no possible way that I can be an effective witness for Jesus Christ apart from this power, uh, the helper of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will spend, uh, will, will send. Um, John fourteen twelve says, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Now we can read a passage like this and we, th- we can think of, oh, maybe I can, I can perform all kinds of healings and signs and wonders. Listen, when we come to the book of Acts, we see that the, this gospel message that Jesus wants to go to the ends of the earth, this is all part of God's plan. Um, as, as we were reading in Isaiah uh, 52 this morning in our ABF time, um, I was reading verse 10. It says, The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of the Lord. And then in verse 15, He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. And so God's desire from the very beginning, his promise to Abraham is that all the nations, all families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. We know that that is the person of Jesus Christ, the descendant of Abraham. And so we see that this gospel message has been from the very beginning God's desire to go to all nations. And so when we come to the book of Acts, we should not be surprised that on the day of Pentecost there's all kinds of nations gathered together. The power of the Spirit comes upon them to be His witnesses, and the gospel begins to spread, and we will look at it more next time. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I I don't know how I could possibly be his witness. I I can't hardly remember any scriptures. The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He'll teach you all things. In chapter 15, uh, Jesus said, when the helper comes, I'll send him to you. The spirit of truth who proceeds from he will testify about me and you will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. In chapter 16 and verse 13, The Spirit of truth, when He comes, He will guide you into all the truth. My first day in uh, in the city of Trichy, um, we it was as I said, it was my first experience, uh, maybe a large scale, more large scale experience of of teaching through a translator. 
And, and I got to the end of the day, and I, I was able, once I got back to the hotel, to WhatsApp Jenny, and I was talking to her and saying how frustrated I was. That, 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 this day was, a, was just a, um, a disaster. I don't know how this is going to work. And, and as I spent time in my hotel room that night, uh, this, past, this verse came to my mind, and I was just meditating upon John sixteen thirteen. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. And, and I just, um, as I just kind of ruminated upon this verse, I thought, that is the key. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is the one that must teach. He is the one that must disclose to them these truths, these principles that we are trying to get across through a translator. And do you know that the next day literally was, was like night and day difference? Uh, thank you to everyone who was praying. I know that in answer to prayer, the power of God's word, the power of his spirit, he was able to bring his word to those who we were ministering among. Charles Spurgeon, would uh, apparently he had many steps up to his pulpit uh, in London when he would preach. And, and every step he took, walking up to his pulpit, he would just uh, mutter to himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you this week that from the moment you get up in the morning, you start, you start declaring your conviction and belief that you believe in the Holy Spirit, that you need the Spirit of truth and His power to obey the Lord on this particular day, to even be His witness to others on, on whatever day it is that you wake up. And, and so I challenge us, as I challenge myself, that this needs to be our constant prayer. Warren Wiersbe says, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury, it's an absolute necessity. Number three, is your view of the church ingrown or outreaching? Um, in the book of Acts, we're going to see a church on the move. We're going to see a gospel that is advancing. We're going to see a work of God that He has predestined to occur from before the foundation of the world. He has chosen people from every tribe and tongue and nation, we are told in Revelation 5, to be a kingdom of priests to our God. And so we are in the middle of this. We are in this time period when God is doing His work still. And by the power of His Spirit, we can be His witnesses. The church is to be advancing. The gospel is advancing. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is a significant passage for the formation of the church and for the advance of the gospel. Leon Moore says, the Spirit will not come until the Son goes away. What Jesus means, we see in the narratives of the Acts. Some say that it's really not the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit that we see in the book of Acts, right? It's, it's, it's not the Acts of the Apostles, it's maybe certain Acts of certain Apostles, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. There are a few miracles of healing in the book of Acts, but the emphasis is on the mighty works of conversion. 
on the day of Pentecost alone, more believers were added to the little band of believers than throughout Christ's entire earthly life. There we see a literal fulfillment of greater works than these shall he do. During his lifetime, the Son of God was confined in his influence to a comparatively small sector of Palestine. But after his departure, his followers were able to work in widely scattered places and influence much larger numbers of men. But they did all on the basis of Christ's return to the Father. They were in no sense acting independently of him. On the contrary, in doing their greater works, they were but his agents. In Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so we see these concentric circles. And we are still in the midst of this work. As Ray Stedman says, the book of Acts is an unfinished book, for it is still being written. And um, it's so easy for me to, to think small when I think of the church or when I think of the gospel. But I, I pray that as we kind of do this flyover of the first century church, that, that God would expand our vision to see how he is working and, and how he wants to use us. And so maybe that could be our prayer is, God, I want you to open my eyes to see how the Spirit of God desires to use me, desires to use Grace Church uh, to impact not only our community, our city, but to the remotest part of the earth. So we're going to look at these progress reports, these divinely inspired. Luke was a man of meticulous detail. And it is interesting that throughout the book of Acts, he gives little updates, little progress reports. Uh, we'll look at it next time in, in chapter 2. The Lord was... 3,000 were added to their number. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. In chapter 6, the word of God kept spreading. In chapter 9, the church continued to increase. In chapter 12, the word of the Lord was growing. Chapter 16, the churches were increasing. In chapter 19, the word of the Lord was growing. And, uh, and so he gives us these little snapshots of what the Spirit of God was doing through these lame disciples, uh, giving them power to be his witnesses. So how is the gospel advancing to the end of the earth through the Grace Church of Marshalltown, Iowa? Ask yourself, how am I being used in this movement of the gospel, this advance of the gospel? And, um, and so I challenge us to pray these prayers and seek the power that comes from the Spirit of God to be His witnesses. Um, worship team, as you come... Um, uh, I, I, I share this. I took a picture. This doesn't come out very good, but I'm kind of obsessed when I'm on an international flight with these maps that they give you. You know what I mean? Uh, who cares about the movies or whatever? But you think it, it moves so slowly, that, that plane. You know what I mean? It, uh, this 15-hour flight, uh, it, it's, it barely moves. But I don't know why I like to kind of keep going back to the map screen, screen because... Uh, it's showing me where I, I flew from Abu Dhabi and, and I left and then you kind of fly up over uh, the, the north uh, 
point there. And then uh, the next one is coming near Chicago. And uh, I don't know, it moves slowly, but it's kind of exciting to see where it's going and, and where we've made it. And so I want us to think, sometimes we get so frustrated with the church because it's, it's moving so slowly. Is anything even happening? I assure you that more is happening than you will ever know, that I will ever know. And not only in Marshalltown, but to the remotest part of the earth. And so uh, I challenge us to keep a, a large vision for what God is doing in and through his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are part of a movement that will not fail. Howard Hendricks, uh, my prof in seminary, would say, the two greatest days... In anyone's life, day one is the day that you're born again. The day that you come to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and your life is changed for eternity. No better day than that. The day that you are born again. And then he had us hang in and then we'd wonder, what's the, what's the second day? What's the second day? And he'd say, the second day is the day that you realize why you've been born again. We are on a mission. Jesus has entrusted to us the gospel. And he has said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. And I'm still working. The church is still growing. Lives are still being changed. And so I ask you, have you come to that day when you realize why you've been born again? Do you know your purpose, why you are still here on this earth? I think the book of Acts will help us to understand that more and more as we see the progress and the advance of the gospel. Let's stand together and worship.